With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Should people have a plan B in life? A new 30-day book challenge, and I think this is a particularly interesting and beautiful one, and I hope people do it. I talk about what the next stimulus package is going to be like. I talk about the worst mayor on the planet, and no, it is not Bill de Blasio, although it was close. I talked about an idea that I pitched to Andrew Yang. And finally, Robin and I talked about how one should argue in a relationship, particularly if things are starting to feel out of balance. And then I guess finally, I mean, I actually, I talked about a bunch of things. In addition, I talked about peer-to-peer. I talked about a bunch of things. But one interesting thing was, and I'm, I'll ask this to you guys, should we let states secede? Maybe we should just let states secede instead of participating in in the government. I don't know. It's a stupid idea, but it helps to think outside of the box sometimes. Most importantly, I hope things are going well for everyone in these difficult times. If you need anything, text me 203-590-8607. And I, I mean that. If you need anything, text me. If you have any questions or topics, again, text me 203-590-8607. Enjoy the podcast. See you tomorrow. You know, a lot of things are going on in the news. A lot of people say A, and a lot of people say the opposite of A. And earlier this week, I'll confess that I I got swept up in a little bit. There's this one Facebook group I'm, on, I'm in where there's a lot of really smart people who I respect and admire. And I just couldn't believe some of the things I was reading. It seemed to me without really getting into all the issues, it seemed to me people were saying things that were really insensitive. And I did what I always swore I would not do, which is I just got swept up into it. I got, I started responding and I started asking people for their response to my response. And you know, what's the point? Like, we're not gonna sit there in our little Facebook group and change the world. It's not like we're all gonna agree in the middle and send our message to Congress and then have laws passed or do anything. Like I could have been writing articles, I could have been helping people. And instead on those days, I even, there was one day I skipped the Instagram live. There was another day I canceled uh, a scheduled podcast. I felt really bad and that sent me even to more feeling bad about what I was doing that day. It just doesn't feel well. By the end of the day, I physically felt sick. And I had a lot of work to do. So that night I had to stay up late and work all because I was just upset at something. And it's really important, particularly we got a virus happening that we just don't know enough about. We have lockdown happening. We just don't know what the long-term effects of that are going to be. We have stimulus or no stimulus, restaurants closing, stores closing, unemployed. What should we do? There's no one answer. And on and on. We even have UFOs coming out. 
this week. The news is going to come out next week, I think, or or this week, whenever. It's a lot of scary stuff out there. And what's really important, what I have to remind myself is to always try to rise above it. And, and not that I'm superior to anybody, like they're all swept up in the anxiety and the fear and the uncertainty. We, we all are. It's hard not to be. But every now and then it helps to just take a step back and say, hey, do I really need, am I really doing anything here? Am I really having, if I, even if no one's mind is going to change anyway, it's not like someone's going to say, you know what? I felt this way for the past 30 years, but now I agree with you. Like no one is going to say that because there's a cognitive bias called the backlash effect, which is when you argue with someone, they tend to argue even more for the other side. So I always should remember that it's really important to invert the argument. I have to make sure I can argue their side just as well as they can before I even have an opinion. And if I'm able to do that, by the way, then it usually diffuses the whole argument. Like I can see both sides at that point. And, or at least I can see more of the nuances and more why somebody might be scared and have one opinion over another. In any case, that's just a, a backdrop to a little bit of the things discussed on today's Q&A podcast. Welcome to the live Q&A. It's been a couple of days. Robin, you're looking particularly nice in this outfit. Thank you. Is that a dress? Yes. How do they ever see you in dresses? You're a jeans, you're a jeans yeah. kind of girl. <laughs> I actually, I have never in my entire life worn denim. Denim has not touched my skin. Wow. Like I just, it's just, it feels like you're wearing cardboard, doesn't it, when you're wearing de denim? I don't know, I'm, I guess I'm I used just, to it. Like right now I'm wearing Linen pajamas, isn't this yeah, like? It's more comfortable. Wouldn't you much rather, like, you imagine going to sleep in like a denim jacket? Yeah, no. <laughs> or like denim jeans? <laughs> do they really wear denim shirts? Yeah, they do. Really? Mm -hmm. What? What is but, that? I like? mean, it's like a softer denim, I guess. All right. For the shirts, yeah, it'd be a little hard to wear them in this shirt. Everybody's like, oh, uh, my jeans, I can relax. Jeans do not seem relaxing to me. This is relaxing. It's like. <laughs> kind of comfortable. I barely feel like I'm wearing anything. I'm, I'm wearing all the same color today too. It's like this grayish blue. I'm like a Maoist worker in a Chinese factory. So speaking of which, are we at World War III with China? Is this like escalating? Well, I think so. But you, I you, think, uh, I think it's, we, it's time. You used to live in Chengdu. Right. And now today China announced that they are closing the U.S. Consulate in Chengdu. Yeah. It's like retaliation because we closed the mm -hmm. Houston consulate. That's right. And I guess they're saying Houston was like a big espionage network of the Chinese were there. Right. I think, you know, because of the intellectual property with the oil companies, I think has something to do with it. Uh, that could be. So maybe it's, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. But uh, even the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, said... I don't know how he knew this. Maybe he used to work with Nixon or he said Nixon regretted uh, opening up uh, the, the, you know, you know, Nixon did his ping pong diplomacy with China. He was the one who opened up China to the rest of the world. Yeah. Like he went down there or they came here. I forget what happened, mm -hmm. but the ping pong players all played and then suddenly we were friends with them and yeah, we lost our friendship with Taiwan. Yeah. yeah. We gotta get a ping pong table here, by the way. By the way, this is the house that we're renting in 
South Florida. We brought the epicenter of the pandemic from New York City to <laughs> Miami area. And it's our fault. We brought it. So they won't let us leave. No. <laughs> and we're not allowed back in New York now. Cuomo has called us. You guys stay there. Here's the thing. I'm even reading on the front page of CNN, my favorite news site. They're even saying medical experts. I don't know if you saw this. Medical experts are suggesting we just shut it all down and start over again. Wow. Like that was the headline today. And I told you. I, even, I might have mentioned it on this. I told a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago, I said by August 1st, they're gonna shut down the whole country again. They did. And we'll see what happens. They definitely shut down, Preparing. like as soon as we moved here, they shut down Miami mm -hmm. and, or Florida. And New York, I don't know, but New York said like the, the Chinese restaurant that was not right next to where we lived, yeah. it's been open for, I don't know, 50 years or whatever, Cuban Chinese place, shut down now forever for lease, right. for rent. So, but we're in Keep Us Game, Florida. Let us know if you're gonna stop by. And um, uh, it's kind of nice here. And I, I say this, like we're three blocks away that way, I think, is the ocean, right? This way. That way? I have not been to the ocean. Well, actually, anyway. Anyway, we're on it's an island. island. <laughs> we're three blocks in every direction from the ocean. I have not been to the ocean at all. I have not even seen it. Oh no, I've seen it, but I haven't been there. Right. I haven't been in the pool. I don't know, it reminds me like one time in 2014, I was in Thailand uh -huh. and on an island in Koh Samui. And I remember I was talking to Tim Ferriss and he said, oh, you must be enjoying the ocean. And I'm like, well, I could, I'm standing in my room here and I could see the ocean. It's about 10 feet away, but I have not been there. And he's like, well, how long have you been in Thailand? I'm like, probably about eight days so far. He's <laughs> like, you haven't been in the ocean, it's only 10 feet away. It's hot outside. It's hot. This is hot, as hot as Thailand in here. <laughs> it's like 100 degrees in Florida. Well, it feels that way. I have not once been outdoors in the past month and a half during the day. That's true. At night, I go out. Yeah, I'm like a vampire. <laughs> so, welcome everybody to month six or whatever of the pandemic, I'm gonna answer some questions or we'll both answer some questions, but I wanted to ask you a question, Robin. What do you think is the biggest difference between you and me that is actually a benefit? That's good, that it's good that we're different in that way. Um, I'm not anxious. Yeah, you're not anxious, you're right. You don't really get worried about things. No. Like I remember in January, I was wrong. I, I didn't, we were all, we were all reading about this Wuhan virus and I didn't think it would hit the US, but I did think that the shutdown, I did think that every factory in China would get shut down and that I realized the entire US ecosystem depended on factories being open and that could lead to chaos and unrest in the streets. So I skipped over the whole pandemic going right to complete right. chaos and protests and anarchy. Right. And you were like, okay, well, we'll just like pack a tent and go in the woods and be preppers or survivors. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have bugs. I don't want to live in a tent or a sleeping bag. <laughs> I don't want to do bag. that. Like if they're marching, I'm just going to kill myself probably. <laughs> no. So, but you know, and, and, and then you said, oh no, they'll never let it get to that. And we're sort of like in the middle of like yeah. the worst case scenario. I mean, Portland's going on and this is not 
political. Like, I don't even, I, I know they're protesting Black Lives Matter in Portland. I'm, I won't, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm helping someone with a, a book right now about this. It's gonna be very interesting. I'm play, playing my role, we're all playing our role. Everybody's playing their role. We've been to protests, we've learned, we've been educated. But you can't, it's like you can't say anything. It's so political. There's no Martin Luther King in the situation here. Like in Seattle, the Martin Luther King of Seattle was this creepy guy, Raz Simone, who was called the warlord. And then teenagers were killed. Uh, uh, there was total chaos. Finally, they threatened, we've talked about this before, but finally they threatened the mayor of Seattle and, and they told her, we're gonna take over your house next. And cause she was the one who kept saying, oh, it's just a peaceful protest. It's like an arts festival. You know, the federal government better stay out of here. And then teenagers died, were shot, African-American teenagers. The, 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 there were, the protesters had guns and wouldn't let the police in to help the teenagers who were dying and wouldn't let the EMTs in. Yeah. Mayor didn't care about that. When they wanted to take her house, within 12 hours, the whole Chaz was cleaned out. And then what happened with the warlord, Raz Simone? Like he hasn't tweeted on Twitter, he hasn't been on Instagram. You would think the guy would be responsible for the deaths of these kids. He's got video of the kids like dying practically. Yeah. And I, I went to his website, he's got store.razsimone.com. He's advertising it on Twitter, that's in his Twitter profile. He's selling Raz Simone ski masks. They're like ski masks with like Raz written on them. Like who is buying, are the people, I think he's just, he must be selling them all to the people in Portland. Cause Portland, yeah. the, the Chaz only lasted two weeks. Portland's been going on 52 days. Right. And this was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, not quite, but the funny, last night, the, the mayor, Ted Wheeler, he's such a, I don't know what he's doing. He's like pandering yeah. to the protest. He's like, you guys are right. You guys are right. And I don't even know, nobody was paying attention to him. And then the feds, the federal troops came in and started tear gassing. They tear gassed him. And then meanwhile, the protesters were screaming curses at him. So both sides yeah. were, so the protesters, he was actually in more danger from the protesters. Like right. the tear gas was going over everybody, but then the protesters were closing in on him. So he got the heck out of there with his uh, security team, who right. I can guarantee you, the security team was armed and ready oh, if he right. got hurt. Right. So, so. We saw that whole video last night. What is that guy gonna do for his career? Like everybody in Portland hates him and he was trying to pander to them. And then today, and like we're not gonna vote for you next time. I mean, all the protesters were saying that. And look, I I get, I get it. Everybody's nervous. There's all this news about uh, federal troops going in Oregon and just taking people off the street. So that's the news report, and that's scary. That sounds like Stalin kind of behavior. You don't want that. You don't want Stalin. You don't want Hitler. You don't want Mao. You don't even want to get close to that. But when I looked at videos of this. It, a lot of the news said these people were unmarked. They were not marked. They were wearing complete camouflage with helmets mm -hmm. and they didn't have a name tag though. And so that was the problem. But people don't want situations where they're targeted personally later. But everybody was clearly marked. They were carrying guns and wearing camouflage. But I'm not saying that was good or bad. The only, so people were saying, is this despotic? Like the mayor, it's a, people were, I just want to correct one thing. 
People were saying the mayor and the governor and the people didn't want these federal troops there. And so it's illegal. And that actually is true. Uh, it is illegal. You cannot, uh, the federal government cannot enforce state laws. So, but there is an exception. And there's two exceptions. One is if they're um, breaking federal laws, you can do it. The other is um, a little known rule that another president took advantage of in June 21st, 1963, John F. Kennedy um, federalized the National Guard. The National Guard is usually under the control of the governor, but he federalized them. The Alabama governor, George Wallace, did not want federal troops in. The Alabama people, by an overwhelming majority, did not want federal troops in. And these federal troops went in um, and broke up the protests that Alabama citizens were doing in order to, an e to escort a young girl to school. Mm -hmm. So people were saying this has never happened before. If you look it up, it's actually happened about 20 times. It's happened in, under Thomas Jefferson, Grover Cleveland, Ulysses S. Grant, Woodrow Wilson, John F. Kennedy, and now Donald Trump. And then yesterday, I don't know what these protesters, like why we were, like I get what they're protesting and it's important, but they're acting like they're, they should be running the government. These protesters locked themselves in the federal courthouse and then set it on fire. Are those the actual people we want running the government? Like, do they know what they are doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> they kind of set themselves on fire. Like, anyway, who knows what the answer is? You know, oh, you know, I know what the answer is. I think Oregon should just secede. Like, we should just say, if you're gonna, if you're gonna let some protests go on for, let's just arbitrarily say 20 days, 30 days, just let, just kick them out of the country. Like, we don't need Oregon. Right. We don't need Washington. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Like, how do you, they know that not all the people want help? I mean, maybe some people don't like that. They don't like, you know, what they've done to the city. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you I, see I, it. I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people who lived in the Chaz region who saw their stores looted and their property values go down uh, and in some cases were physically hurt. Just like the mayor of Seattle, once they touch your property, your opinion changes. So like I was, somebody in New, uh, from New York was on a Facebook group and was saying like, ah, you just can't take it. Like, you know, and, and look, I'm as liberal as they can get, but I wouldn't want, I have kids and there was kids that would die in these, in the chats and nobody questioned it. It was like, no, nobody, you have kids. I have kids, we have five kids between us and the kids don't understand. They don't understand. They think it's, they don't, they're trying to figure it out. Does protest lead, is it okay to do looting if you're protesting? Is that just, you know, everybody was misquoting Martin Luther King, riots are the voice of the unheard. That's not, that's taken out of context in what he said, and I'll leave it at that. But uh, I'm pretty sure the guy who said, who called, you know, was saying this on Facebook, he lives in New York City. I'm sure if people showed up at his apartment and said, hey, we're taking over now, <laughs> uh, he would not like it. Right. You know, and what are you supposed to do? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if there's a, a clear answer, really. I mean, I just, it's, 
I'm just glad I'm not in politics. <laughs> That's all I have to say. That's a good thing. Well, and this all was kind of just to go full circle. You said the biggest difference between us that actually is a good balance is I tend to be a little bit more anxious than you. So in January, I was already thinking, you know, by May, there could be rioting in the streets. There could be protests. And you're like, okay, we'll deal with it. And I'm like, I don't want it. I was anxious and you were good at like, just, all right, it'll be okay, whatever. But doesn't my, uh, when I get like that, doesn't it get annoying to you? No, but I'm glad I can ground you there. I mean, the thing is, is that you can't think about what's gonna happen in the past. I mean, that's what's, that in is the, the problem. I mean, in the future. So if you're just living now here, you're fine. Like, right, today. Yeah. Don't worry about your problems tomorrow. No, you're so right. And I always say like, you know, when you regret, the past, you're time traveling to the past. Mm -hmm. When you have anxiety about the future, you're time traveling to the future. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to anticipate the future and say, okay, well, well am I prepared? Am I prepared for, for all of this? Right. So, and, and sometimes you have to look back at the past and say, what did I learn? Yeah. Like for instance, in other similar event driven crashes like 2001 and 2008, mm -hmm. I went broke. Now, having those experiences from the past, I did not go broke during this situation. So, so you learn, you try to learn from the past. Right. But I guess maybe living in these other countries, you know, dealing with it, you know, it was, a little, it was definitely more difficult sort of going through all that. You know, we went through bird flu several times, uh, Asian flu, uh, just a lot of different scenarios and it was, not easy, but yeah. we, we survive. So yeah, you, you know, survive. Here it's a lot easier to live than those places. Yeah, for now, <laughs> for it's gonna now. get it's gonna get pretty bad everywhere. Because what's gonna happen once? I'm um, seriously, we should kick out states at some point. Like we don't need Oregon at all. I mean, we already have decided. I have decided that Montana should have been Israel to begin with. <laughs> We don't need Oregon. Just say, like Portland, if you're so unhappy here. It's so just, beautiful there, though. It's beautiful here. Like, whatever. It's beautiful It's, it's beautiful in every cooler. state. It's cooler in, over there. Hmm? It's a lot cooler. Yeah, so Oregon, just if you want to be your own country, like, secession is legal in, in the United that States. States can secede. It's already complicated, the world. Just let them go. <laughs> like... When, when are we gonna stop trying to control people? Like if Oregon wants to be, like the people who want to stay in the US, they can move out of Oregon, we'll give them like a three year our exit. It's like Brexit, our exit, wash that's, exit. Well, so that's what I think should really is a good idea is to allow this, the states to do what they want to do, let them govern the way they want and people can decide to leave, I guess, you know? And if they want to live in a chaotic, chaotic you know, state, I don't know. Maybe it won't you know, be chaotic once they leave. Like, maybe what's, not. What's that, the issue? I, just, I don't know. But maybe that's the best way to deal with it is like having each state, you know, each governor is its own president. Yeah, each state should take a vote right now whether they want to stay in the United States or not. Just thinking out of the box. <laughs> and then like the states that want to stay in, who, I mean, who knows? You know, maybe if, you, if they vote to leave, the United States pays off their debt. So they don't have a big deficit anymore. That's, no. U.S. has the money. They have to, I mean, it's all set up, you know, okay right now. It's just that we have to decide where people want to live and if they have to vote for the people that, you know, they want to control that area. 
I mean, that's really how it should work, but it's not really working. Here's what I would do. If I was president of the United States right now. I'm glad you're not, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not either, because then I would have to leave this house during the day, and it's hot outside. I couldn't imagine. Oh, my God. And, I don't know, nobody is really happy when they're a president, it seems. I don't know why anybody would want that job. But, but I would make it easy for myself. I would say, all troops in Afghanistan and Iraq, come home. We don't, nobody even wants us there. I mean, by the way, talk, like, they, I, I know I always get on a tangent, but Twitter, you know, has been banning... They just, they've taken a new policy. They're banning some tweets. They're not banning other tweets. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I cut and paste this. So I was looking yesterday at um, a world leader's tweets, a very familiar world leader's tweets. Um, oh, here it is. Uh, let me see. It's like, it's the, it's the Khomeini, who's the head of Iran. And he basically said, Iran is definitely going to have a, strike against the U.S. And that's just fine on Twitter. Like, isn't that, like, hate speech? You said that recently? Yesterday. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, what's going on? So... I don't know. It's a crazy world. But, you know, now, what is it? So, Apple is going to be making all their, their phones, I guess, in India. In India, so now we're gonna, is that gonna mean a bunch of people in India are gonna commit suicide just like at Foxconn? I know, that's the whole, that's the bad part of it. I mean, I hope Foxconn, what's his name, Terry. But that, but by the way, that's just it. Who, I, I know Trump always says, we gotta bring the props back to the US. I don't, I don't want anybody well, in the US making Apple phones. They're all gonna kill themselves. I think they did open up a facility in Wisconsin and that failed. But anyway, you know. That Trump, failed, right? Cause you can't do it for less than $3,000, a phone. Right. Well, I don't know what's going on there, but I know that Trump has been working on this since 2017. And so that's a big deal. And that's why China hates Taiwan. I mean, they want Taiwan. They hate the Taiwanese. And Terry is, a, a, it's a Taiwanese company. So. A Foxconn? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But they're in China. Yeah, they're in they're China. In they're all over Asia. They're in Chengdu, right? Well, yeah, we used to pass that all the time. Huge facility. It looked like, I don't know, a CIA facility. It's all gray. So, so, yeah, so my thing is, Trump should just back off on that every job should come back to the U.S. Some jobs should be outside well, the U.S. obviously he worked out some deal with India, you know, with Maybe, getting yeah. some stuff done. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna criticize Trump on another thing, which is, and, and I'm apolitical, I'm gonna go back and forth, we're gonna have Biden also. Um, uh, you know, everybody's saying schools have to reopen, mm -hmm. okay? And, and other people are saying schools shouldn't open. And I get it. People are scared. There were, in a few weeks ago, there were articles that kids get some sort of brain, could have a brain dysfunction from coronavirus. Uh, you know, but then Trump was saying in his press conference yesterday that, look, there's also, and we've talked about this, there's domestic abuse, child abuse, there's violence. So, you know, and also, if you're an 18-year-old single mother and you have two kids you're taking care of at home, you need your kids to go to school. So it's a complicated situation. You can't just let doctors decide. This is a leadership decision. And then he says, you know, 99.96% of kids will be fine, which is a weird way of saying, you know, 0.04% of kids are gonna die. So you have to kind of add up the numbers and it's a big number. Uh, because you're talking about, you know, million, tens of millions of kids. 
at the same time, if you want to keep schools closed, like they announced in California, you have to figure out ways that parents can get back to work or else nobody, nobody likes staying at home all day and starving. Right. I mean, it's really the fear of the unknown because like, okay, let's just say uh, kids die a lot more, it seems like, with the flu, right? Yeah. With the really bad flu. Yeah, but, it we, but it's been around a while, so we're used to dealing with that. And like when there's flu seasons, we still let our kids go to school. The problem is with this COVID-19 is that it's just we don't know. You know, right. it's just unfamiliar to us. And, you know, they say that you can still get it even after you have antibodies, which means, okay, is the, is the vaccination going to really work? Right. So on right? one hand... So we're going to live with this virus. You know, it may, <clears throat> you know, help with with, you know, um, you know, how hard it is, uh, or, ha, ha, I'm distracted. Um, it's, what was I saying? Um, we're gonna have to live with this. We're gonna have to live with it. And then the vaccine may help us with, with uh, not getting it so much, right? I mean, it, it'll help downgrade all the symptoms and the problems if we get a vaccination, I think, right? I mean, that's the good thing. Like the antibodies would help maybe. We hope, we so hope. we don't have it so much. Like the flu vaccination doesn't really help us from getting it. It just helps, you know, with trying not to get it so badly. Yeah, some people get the vaccination, still get it. But most, but if you get the vaccination, you're probably not going to get the flu. <laughs> I'm so like a little... But Fauci said the other day, we might be living with the virus forever. And even when the very first podcast I did on this yeah. with your ex-brother-in-law, Peter Openshaw, who's a top epidemiologist at Imperial College, he said, you know, within, and this was in March, he said within 12 to 18 months, everybody in the world will be exposed to the virus. Yeah. The whole idea of flattening the curve was never to, uh, to delete the virus from the planet. It was just to avoid overwhelming the healthcare system so we could learn more and, and pe more people could survive, but it wasn't meant to eliminate the virus. Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens. I mean, hopefully we can eliminate it. Well, you know, we know one person, so we know one person who got the virus a few months ago, back in March, and what the, as soon as they got the first symptom, this person stayed in bed for 24 straight hours, took Tylenol though every three or four hours, like for two days. He got the virus on a Friday, for better or for worse, I'm not judging him. He's our age, yeah. He, he's our age, so, so he could have been dead. He went to work on Monday. He got it on Friday, went to work on Monday, he, fine. He and his wife. Yeah. So they're not judging him. Like they weren't really, they didn't have lockdowns then. This was like right before all the lockdowns, but he was fine. He was 100% fine just from Tylenol. So we don't really know all the ways in which our, our immune systems respond and so on. Right. So maybe we'll figure that out. So, uh, uh, you know, the one thing about the protests I have to say that was positive is that I think our kids really learned a lot talking about these issues, reading about these issues, right. hearing about these issues. I think they maybe got biased at different points, not really understanding. You know, I do think systemic racism could be real, but not the way most people use it. So, and, and again, understanding the difference between Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, protests without leadership, how government should respond. Like all these things are nuances that are hard for kids. It was an opportunity for them to learn. Maybe some of our kids even found purpose in life, you know, thinking this could be interesting. Right. So, I mean, I always used to tell one of my kids, Josie, uh, don't have purpose. Like I remember one time she called me up and she had spray painted 
her eyes. And I'm like, and she was in the hospital and she was like temporarily blind. And I, I said, Josie, why, why did you spray paint your eyes? And she was like, working, you know, she wants to be an actress and she was working on theater or stage development. She was putting together this stage. So I, and she said, dad, you always say, you know, go for your dreams, go for your purpose. And I said, Josie, not, you kind of have to be competent a little bit first, like before, like don't spray paint your eyes. That's not the path to pursuing your dreams. Like it's okay to be mediocre at something and pursue your dreams, but don't be totally incompetent. Like, I'll give you an example. Don't get offended. Hitler should have pursued his dreams. He went to art school. He wanted to be a painter, but he was kind of mediocre and he couldn't handle being mediocre. Some people are meant to be mediocre at, at their dreams, but he loved it. Just do it, Hitler. And instead, he dropped it. He went to his plan B. Plan B was killing six million Jews. Everyone says always to go, always have a plan B. Pursue your dreams and have a plan B. Maybe don't have a plan B. Just pursue your dreams. Terrible. Like I was talking to a friend of mine, Jim Norton, the comedian, we grew up together. And in high school, he actually left high school and he became a tractor driver. I don't even know what you call that job. He drove tractors on construction sites. Oh. And it was such a shitty job. That's because he didn't have a plan B from being a stand-up comedian. He made sure he had no plan B. <laughs> we all wish Hitler would have been as smart as Jim Norton in that situation. Josie, this is a message for you if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to answer some questions and don't, don't be upset at me that I spoke about Hitler. One time I was doing comedy and somebody got upset because I mentioned how on Google Maps, there was, uh, every location on Google Maps has reviews. Like you can go to the, the beach club here and it'll be reviewed on Google Maps. Mount Rushmore, reviewed on Google Maps. Now it has a lot of different reviews. Yeah. But it, it, was all, it was all like, oh, this is a brilliant wonder on Mount Rushmore. Now the reviews are different. Right. Auschwitz had five star reviews and one star reviews. And I brought it up. Somebody got very upset at me. Their grandparents died there. And I don't, I, I don't know. I thought it was, so did mine. Like I, well, what, I can't read out loud Google Maps reviews. Tell Google, not me. Um, uh, okay. So a step-by-step -step guide to peer-to-peer -peer lending. So I'm, I'm just going to briefly touch on this. I'll expand on it more next week. Peer-to-peer -peer lending is this idea like right now, if you need a loan, you go to the bank and the bank says, well, what do you own, sir? And you say, well, I own this house. And the bank says, okay, well, here's a loan and we're gonna take your house if you don't pay it back. But there are many people who cannot get loans, like people in destitute or impoverished areas in Africa who would like to start little mini businesses, micro businesses, they would like to get loans. and. There are many sites that it's set up. In fact, a Nobel Prize in economics was won uh, on the concept of micro-lending, where I could go onto a website, see everybody's situation, and I could lend money, and I get like an 11% interest rate. And would that money go directly to the individual? Directly. Or does it go into someone else's hand? And directly. From their hand into their hand? 
Directly. Go, if you go to it go, Kiva.org is one platform, but there are other platforms. And um, I don't know if there's peer-to-peer lending in the U.S. I'll look that up by next week because I do think this is an interesting business model. It's very independent from the stock market, particularly if you choose wisely. You can look, make thousands of loans, $100 here, $50 there, $25 there. Can you also, though, um, actually give the money and just forgive the loan? Yes. But, but See, that's really cool because then it doesn't go through like a NGO or a government. Nothing like that. Because sometimes it always gets funneled into Ugh, I that hate that. Like, it doesn't get distributed. You, you read these charities and there's like tens of millions of dollars of salaries being paid. Why did I just give $100 to that charity? So I always try to give direct. I always look at GoFundMes that where people right. need direct help. I always like micro charity, but that's different. This is, you know, the stock market returns on average six or 7% a year. Mm-hmm. And peer-to-peer lending, you could lend all these loans out to people starting these little micro businesses at 11 or 12%. And there are defaults, there's about 20% of defaults, but that means you end up with 9% returns per year on average, and it's pretty diversified. So I don't know how it's doing this year, so I will look it up before next week and describe more specifically how you can take advantage of this model. There might be, again, one interesting thing is going meta in that don't just do peer-to-peer lending, but maybe a blog or a newsletter about peer-to-peer lending. Like here's the areas that might be safe to do peer-to-peer lending in a pandemic. Here are the areas or businesses that might be great this year to do peer-to-peer lending Mm -hmm. against, you know, or this month or this country or whatever. So there's a meta aspect too. And that's a good idea. Even on both sides, you know, wanting to invest. Also though, a good idea would be you as a person going to the region and, and, and looking at these places. Absolutely. Right? And then you could actually represent a group of the people saying Ghana, you know, but you've been there and you know, okay, they're gonna pay. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it could be on both sides. Yeah, I think these innovative ways for to have me to you, rather than through a bank, rather than through a hedge fund, rather than through yeah. a mutual fund, rather than through a stock, like these direct ways, like there's this other concept called income share agreements where a graduating law student who wants to help paying back his $300,000 in student loans, if I, oh, I could say, oh, he went to Harvard Law School and now he's gonna work at a, the biggest law firm in New York, and I could say, all right, I'll buy 10% of your income for the next 10 years. And, yeah. uh, uh, and, and you know, it's interesting, talking to Andrew Yang the other day, and that podcast will be released on Tuesday, one of his proposals during his campaign was that a way for people to get rid of their student loans would be over a period, they, for, they, get, they, donate 10%, they agree to donate 10% of their income for the next 10 years, and then all of their student loans are forgiven. That's great, it's a great idea. Here's the thing we know now about- Or do public service. Yeah, or do public service. I think yeah. that he included that. Here's the thing we know now about UBI, universal basic income. So when Andrew Yang was proposing it during the campaign, everyone was asking, well, how are you gonna pay for it? And he had actually ways to pay for it. He had the VAT tax, he had, you know, you give up certain welfare programs, but the US government just spent four or five trillion dollars between the state. And by the way, good news, by Monday, today's Friday, by Monday, there's gonna be another stimulus package announced, almost equivalent to the old one in terms of the direct consumer relief, which yeah. I'm glad, because originally when I was emailing people in the Trump administration, mm-hmm. they said they didn't wanna give direct relief. Uh, and, yeah. and I was like insistent, you need, this is the only way, if, and I, I, I placated to their needs, you always wanna address 
someone's needs. I said, if you want to have the economy spike by November, if you, if all you do is give money to hotel chains that are going bankrupt anyway, there's going to be no spike in the economy. If you give money to an 18 year old mother of three, she's going to spend the money. And that, and that's increases what's called the velocity of money and the economy does great. So there's a lot of misconceptions too about what happens when you print so much money, is a dollar worthless? The answer is no, but I'm gonna go over that. I've been through that before and I'll go through that in some other point. But this is good news, there's gonna be another stimulus package. A lot of people are against it. I'm in favor of it. People need help, people are hungry. If you're telling people, it's not a, it's not a bailout. If you're telling people you have to stay at home, then you need to pay them for it. And that's sort of like mm -hmm. a UBI. Right. The way, in fact, the way they're structuring, from what I can understand, the way they're probably gonna structure this next stimulus when it goes direct, mm -hmm. is as like a negative income tax. So oh. instead of you owing the IRS, you owe the IRS negative money, meaning they give you money. Right, right, so, right. and by the way, that's, that's where some of the ideas from universal basic income come from, is when back in the 70s and 80s, Milton Friedman was debating a negative income tax. So Milton Friedman was a famous conservative economist. Again, Republicans, conservatives, Milton Friedman is the inventor of trickle-down theory and he was in favor of a universal basic income. He just called it a negative income tax. Econ lesson 101 here. I think that the, the, the people working for the government in each state, you know, like the, in Congress and, and the representatives should uh, donate their salaries to their state. Yeah, but some of them don't have money. Hopefully, I mean, a lot of them are rich, do, but, huh? I mean, it seems like they all have. Not all of them. The ones that have been there for a while. I remember They're when I was a kid, I, I, I met. Um, Which doesn't seem right. Not, 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 not all of them don't. Like some, some of them, you can look it up, but some of them are, okay. are poor. I mean, AOC, she's probably going to be a millionaire eventually, but she was a bartender before she mm -hmm. ran for Congress, so who knows. Uh, but, oh, Andrew Yang podcast coming out this Tuesday. I pitched him one idea, one policy idea, and it was the idea that congressmen and congresswomen, congresspeople, should not be allowed to leave their districts. Right. So they should, they should have to be forced to vote remotely. And the idea is then they can't be, lob the lobbyists mm -hmm. can't just go to one city, Washington DC, and wine and dine all these congressmen at the same time. It's, it's too big of a, right. the lobbying industry is a, you know who the biggest, and, then, and their terms should be limited too. They shouldn't be, you know. And he said that, so he called, He said my idea was genius, mm -hmm. and he said also congressmen should be allowed to vote Absolutely. remotely, they're not currently yeah. allowed, right. and he suggested term limits. Right. And the argument against term limits for congresspeople are, oh, you know, they become familiar with all the laws and diplomacy, who cares? Like, I, you could get, if you're right. smart, you could get up to speed on that in Absolutely. three seconds. Sure, so, Especially and you know what? As a, as a, somebody that's living in your city, right? I mean, you know what the- Most of these are. congressmen and senators are kind of idiots anyway. Like, and, all, and by the way, it ranges from Democrats to Republicans. You ask AOC about yeah. economics, she knows nothing. And then there's that Republican guy who said that if a woman, I forget if it was a senator or a congressman, he said if a woman is raped, her body could make it so that she doesn't get pregnant. So that's, that's the level of stupidity we have without term limits. So, and here's the problem, is that 90% of incumbents get reelected. You can't get rid of someone once they're in office. Right. So, because people just like reflex, just vote for the incumbent. Right.
No, I, I think that'd be a great idea. So that would be one thing I would do as president. Yeah. <laughs> I was on, I, that was a tan big tangent. The first thing I said, I would end all the wars. The second thing is release all people in prison who are in there from, for nonviolent crimes. Why is a nonviolent criminal in a, a, a hardcore prison where they're going to get raped and abused and beaten up and whatever. Like if you're, if you, I don't know, embezzled or smoked marijuana in a state where it's illegal, why are they sending you to a low security prison where you're gonna, your life's gonna get destroyed? Right. Just let them, let all the felons go. It'll improve the economy. Give people one in 10, here's where it's systemic. One in 10 African-American children have fathers who are at one point or other in prison. Right. One in 63 for white. So let's, just release all these people. And uh, the other thing I would do, yeah, make every drug legal, including pharmaceutical drugs. I don't care. Like, like, why do we have to go through these FDA tests? And then it costs $2 billion to get a drug through the FDA. And then the FDA recalls thousands of drugs a year anyway. They're not so good. I don't know, I had to think about all that. All right, think about it. <laughs> That's more, a lot. More questions will be answered. Um, but I will address peer lending more next week because I think it's more interesting than I'm saying right now. Mm -hmm. But you can make an average of 9% per year peer lending, which is better than the stock market, whatever. Okay, this one I meant to answer the other day and this person specifically asked for your advice on this too. Hey James, I just broke up with a guy who told me I was obsessively impatient. She's, she says, how can I be less impatient in relationships? Specifically, she says, I wanted kids and I'm 37 and I'm scared. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I can understand that. I guess you just, I don't know, you're gonna scare somebody if you're too, you know, needy or impatient. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna push somebody really away. Right, and that's what I think. Scares them. I think what happens is, People always, at any given point, people- I understand that what she's saying, it's just- Yeah, totally, like I've been in relationships where it gets out of balance and then it just keeps on getting more and more out of balance until I'm just sitting there waiting for the person to call me and- I think like the root is- Waiting for you to call me and I'm just sitting in this chair and I don't know where you are on this goddamn island. No, it's never happened. No, I mean, I think the root of it too is just feeling confident in yourself. You know, I think it, it comes down to that. I think so too. And I think, look, and this applies to all arguments. When you're in an argument with somebody, they're not, they're arguing with you because they believe something deep down inside. There's something that they want that your issue comes into conflict with. Mm -hmm. like. We don't know, let's say she wants kids and the guy doesn't. Well, why doesn't he? Does he not want kids because he doesn't like her? Does he not want kids because he was abused as a child and is afraid to do that? Does he not want kids because he wants to wait a few more years or he's financially unsettled? So we don't know, but once you start fighting, he's just gonna resist or vice versa. Like some the other person resists. You fight about anything, they're gonna resist. And so the best gift you can give someone when you're in a fight with them, what's the one thing that they want? What does, and if you love somebody and you're in a fight with them, what is the one thing you're, the person you love wants in the middle of a fight? He wants you to tell him, you can give him this gift so easily and most people don't do it. You could just tell her, 
let's say if we're in an argument, I could just tell you, you know what? You're right. I didn't think of it that way. And they just want to be right. You want to be heard, but you want to be, you want to be right. I could give you that gift. And then, and then we can start discussing on the same side. So we saw an interesting video. This is kind of related. We, there's a guy, Apollo Robbins, he's an old friend of mine, hasn't been on the podcast yet, but he's a famous pickpocket. Like he could just go on a subway and pick the pockets of everyone on the subway. And I remember one time he was giving a talk. Oh no, I was giving a talk and then he was giving a talk right afterwards. And so he was like, keep the talk going. Cause he was going around the audience, pickpocketing everybody. Yeah. So he had it with him on stage. So kind of felt like I helped a little bit, but he gave some lessons in how to pickpocket. He's like, don't, don't go straight to someone's face. Cause then they're on alert. It's like animals, like they're on alert. Instead go to their side. And you know, then they're a little bit more comfortable. You're not like invading their space as much or they don't feel like you're invading their space as much. It's the same thing mentally and emotionally. Don't go in someone's face in an argument. Like you see Twitter, Twitter, interestingly, their number of tweets are up 30% year over year. Of course they are, because everyone's angry right now and everyone's arguing. That's the only reason Twitter is up in usage. The best thing you can do is just, you're arguing with somebody on Twitter and saying, you know what, you're right, I gotta go. See you later. Turn the computer off. <laughs> because what are you doing? Like, like everybody always says to me, James, are you, are you, you can't be for Trump, right? Or you can't be for, for Biden, you know, Trump, blah, 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 Biden, blah, blah, blah. And how about I'm for everybody, you know, improving themselves, starting businesses, taking care of their families, being good to your friends, helping in your community. And then when you've done all that, maybe then you're qualified to think, most people shouldn't be voting, to be honest, right? Most people yeah. don't know, have, they're just like, oh, if, if I like Trump, all my friends will like me. Or if I like Biden, they won't kick me out of my job. Like a friend of mine just wrote me, he's a high school teacher in New York City. And he literally said, I can't say in my classroom how I feel about some of these issues because I will be fired, even though it's reasonable to say that's freedom of speech, it's democracy, is political but liberalism. But both sides, you know? I mean, I think they need to teach it like balanced, right? I mean, if you go one side, if they're going to give opinions, maybe somebody, you know, they're skewed. So you really want a balanced mix given to your kids. I, I yes. I don't know. That's yes. But like the case, like right now, cancel culture is so big. And, and by the way, most people do not give a shit about uh, woke culture. And, and I'm not saying the woke people are wrong. The problem is you have 2% of people firing the other. Like you can't be like, let's say I'm left of center. All right, if someone's completely to the left, they think I'm practically a Nazi, even though I'm left. Like you can't even be medium left. This is what social media has done to our- Yeah, it's polarized everyone. Yeah, because so, before you didn't have that, you know? No, no, you never had that. It's only the past- and, and that's why the young kids are the ones that are supposedly woke because they're the ones that are using all this, you know, 
technology and I mean we do too but we don't really use it yeah like what are you that. we're not like old oh what's this Twitter go, thing but to go back though to this woman um, also if a man does that and says that that's a good sign for her because you, she doesn't want to be involved with someone like that anyway so he actually did her a favor oh yeah but, that's you know. true too so having confidence so you're right and I, I ignore that part where he said like the really most important thing you could do is do things to build up your confidence by the way, you can't convince yourself you're more confident. You can't say, well, I wrote 55 books and had this job and now I should be more confident. You cannot think your way to confidence. You have to do things. Right. Like you have to go out and if you have nothing to do, go out and help a charity or go That's out right. and exercise, which I should do, do more often. Positive yeah, you have to do things in order to feel confident. Your mind is not stronger than your body. Right. Your mind can't to convince your body that it's confident. And confidence is all about like, when you're more confident, you'll speak differently, you'll mm -hmm. act differently, but you can't hypnotize yourself into that. Right, and then um, it's really good, you know, to, if you're looking for a mate, you know, become friends with people first. It's just easier that way. You know, when you meet people, just be friends. Like you we know, were friends for a while. Yeah, we and, were, and, but, but I'm gonna be honest, we weren't. <laughs> Maybe well, you thought we were friends, but I was attracted to you from the first moment I met you. And when I tried to, you know, when I made my first move uh, on you, if you had said, nah, I thought we were friends, that would have been the end of our friendship. Well, no, I understand I'll just that. Not, uh, but we're at a different, you know, we're older and we're, I don't know. I think it's just different. I think that people that are younger, they've been married, they haven't been married yet, they want to have kids. I'm just saying it takes a lot of pressure off of somebody when they're just in their mind saying we're just friends. Because if you put it in your mind like, oh, I really like him, I'm yeah. like, so it puts more pressure and then it starts to play games, you play games with yourself in your yeah. mind. So if you just say, I'm just going to be friends and we meet these people and just be friends. And then guys like that, they like that vibe that you give off that you're just, friends really because there's no pressure and then you get to know somebody and that's the beauty that's the connection that you want is is that sort of feeling of connection as a friend and then yeah. sometimes the other comes after that you know the problem is a little bit in relationships is that the first six months or eight months or year or three months whatever there's the whole dopamine part of a relationship where it's all about anticipation. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see her. So it's much more about anticipation. But then after six, seven months, it's kind of the, the serotonin part kicks in mm -hmm. where it's much more important. You're not gonna get that same kind of dopamine excitement. Uh -huh. um, you're gonna get that serotonin happiness, which right. is like, oh, I'm really satisfied with where things are going. Which is so relationships change. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you don't you can't anticipate really how you're going to mm -hmm. feel when it changes. And that's when you get the depth, I think, in a yes. relationship. So, you know, it's fun to have all that and you still will if you switch it from friendship to a more romantic. You'll yeah. still get that, but you'll yeah. have something deeper, I think. Oh, yeah, I th I agree. And then but again, the other thing is in terms of like persuading someone to have kids or persuading someone to do a certain thing or take a certain job. Yeah. Whenever, whenever you win a fight, you lose a fight. Mm -hmm. So I forgot who said this, but if you, uh, maybe it was Jordan Peterson actually, mm -hmm. if you win a hundred fights in a row against your wife, mm -hmm. you're gonna be divorced. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah. you know, a lot of times you just have to take a step back and you have to have a wider lens. Right. You have to say, okay, you're right. Or I've got to respect this person's views. You have to wider, have a wider lens. If I really want to be with this person, you know, different things have to happen. Right. And, or maybe if I really want kids, different things have to happen. You have to just zoom out. You can't be afraid to say, you're right, because I'm giving you this gift of being, of being right. No one else gives you this gift, by the way. A lot of times people will argue with you to the yeah. death. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this gift, whether it's in person or someone on Twitter you're arguing with, someone on Facebook, you're right. And you have to have a wider lens then. You know, for instance, if we were arguing about politics, I could say, you know, you're right. The main thing I care about is that society is healthy for our kids. So you get a wider lens. And you know, there's lots of different ways. You know, the world's been through a lot. In the past hundred years, world wars, pandemics, depressions, recessions, it's survived. It's gonna survive this. The main thing we can do is impart responsibility rather than anxiety to our right. kids. So that would be me taking a wider lens if we were arguing somehow about Fauci or whatever. Uh, and so in this case, with our friend who asked this question, a wider lens might be, which she did. She broke up with the person. And it's not about being impatient. It's about really just what they say in the beginning. It doesn't you, get any better. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to listen to what they say to you right. in the very beginning. Like, like I'm gonna be harsh for a second. One time I was in a relationship, so a long time ago, it was like 20, 30 years ago. And right in the beginning, the person told me, um, you know, I'm worried I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna be smart enough for you. And I said, I don't care about that. Um, and then it turned out I did care about it a little bit. <laughs> so, Listen to what they say. Or another person said to me, I just want you to know I'm crazy. I should have listened to that too. <laughs> so always, if they tell you you're crazy, they're telling you the truth. Listen, yeah. There's no other, there's no reason for them to lie and say that they're crazy. They're telling you the truth right at that moment. Right. So and you, you, have to have the, you have to have the same goals too. I think it's really important too, that when you find somebody, it's important to have similar goals. And yeah, I agree. Places where you want to be in life. You know, if you want kids, you don't want kids. I mean, some, everyone's different. So but you, you, don't, but, but let, you don't want to convince somebody of something that they don't really want to do. And then later it's going to come back. And I, see, I told you. So it's but like- But you don't have to be exactly the same. No, but it helps. It does. And like, <clears throat> the thing is, is that it's very difficult once kids come along. If it's already difficult before kids come along, you definitely don't want to bring, bring kids into the relationship because then that even makes it worse. Yeah, that I agree with. But, uh, you know, like we were different in that I probably would have stayed. I mean, we still have a place in New York City. We're planning on going back and forth. We came here because of all sorts of things. Like we were worried, it was, the pandemic was still mm -hmm. raging in New York City, now it's raging here, but also there was rioters trying to get into our building and, and so on. But uh, I, there's no comedy clubs in South Florida, for instance. So, you know, it's not like we were the same. You prefer the outdoors more than me. Like we have yeah. differences. You can't oh, be the same sure. in everything. You definitely want to have differences, but you want to have the same sort of. You You're know, prettier than me. You just want to have the same core values and the same basic, you know, similarities. But you de you don't want to be exactly the same because then that's and you'll fight there too. So you want to be able to complement each other, right? I think we yeah. complement each other. 
It's a real good point, and we spoke about this last week. Sometimes, if you're too much the same, that could lead to arguments. And it's boring. Let's say we were both writers, and every, you know, not that we would be competitive. I hope we wouldn't be, but it's hard not to be sometimes. Like, let's say we're both writers at the same level, and (laughs) yeah, I'm telling the truth. And let's say suddenly you wrote like uh, you got the Nobel Prize in literature or something. I would feel a little jealous. So sometimes almost the more yeah. same you are, there's more opportunities to be competitive. And it's hard to not have competitive juices flowing. Sure. But the thing is, when you get married, you are joined together. You, I really believe that. And you become like, you know, I'm separate, you're separate. We're like these fireballs. And then we come together and we're like one big fireball. And to create that energy, I think we need to complement each other like a puzzle. And then it makes you even stronger. Yeah. Right? And we're not competing. We have different, you know, things that we're good at, and we just make each other stronger, and then we rise up. Uh, I agree. I agree. This turned into like a, I don't know, like a marriage sort of relationships. Portland. Yeah. What I'd do if I was president? Um, oh, no taxes either. We don't need them. I would, I, particularly if we pull it. Get the money off the tree. Well, first off, you can print the money. And that's a whole other topic because the entire world wants to fund the U.S. There will, there's demand for the dollar, so you can print the money. And, and the less money that goes, there's only a certain amount of money in the system. So the less money that goes to the government, the more economic growth happens. The government takes the money and doesn't, doesn't do anything with it. Private individuals, this is not even trickle down. This is just, this is both trickle down and Keynesian theory. But... Uh, uh, that's another discussion. That's what I would do as president. <laughs> I forgot what I was talking about there. But don't be similar. Don't be exactly similar. Uh, let's see. Let us see what else we have. Oh, I kind of have a book. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if this is a th- This is a book challenge. It can be done in 30 days. And it can be done differently by each person. But it's a... In all the other 30-day book challenges I've given, it would be very easy for, for a thousand people to do these books and write completely different books. But now um, this 30-day challenge is a little more interesting, which is it, you've all noticed that the Bible has similar kind of codes of behavior and ethics and spirituality and enlightenment or whatever as the Quran, or the Tao Te Ching, or the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, what I would suggest is make make some, make a book called something like the Book, and find an idea or philosophy that you like that's in Confucius, that's in Taoism, that's in Sun Tzu's The Art of War. There's a beautiful religion called uh, Mohism, which is parallel. It was around the same time as Confucius. Take from the Bible, take from the Quran, take from Sufis, take from Buddha, take from the Yoga Sutras or Advaita Vedanta, whatever. Take from like 10 different religious texts and try to find a few rare ones and a few unusual ones. Like when everybody says, oh, Sun Tzu, the art of war, they don't realize actually there's six other books by six other authors that are kind of collected in these collected books about almost the spirituality of war. So it's not just Sun Tzu's The Art of War, there's six other books. Or, most people think about Confucius, they don't even know anything about Mohi, who 
believed in different things. He was a little bit more of a spiritual guy than Confucius. Confucius was a little more political. So anyway, there's all sorts of, people don't realize Hinduism, yoga, and Vedanta are all different kind of different sects of Hinduism. Sufism is a subsect of uh, Islam. You know, Kabbalah is a subsect of Judaism. So pick like 10 different sects, pick like 20 quotes, which you could find the same in every one and kind of describe it. So a chapter would be one of those quotes, but then you show how it's threads through all of these different religious sects and then give examples from your life and from history where these lines proved useful in advancing someone's life. So this book could be very, if, you, if a thousand of you wrote this book, you'll, I guarantee you there'll be a thousand different books, even though it sounds sort of similar. But the idea is create the book, pick 20 lines and uh, that, that you find in the Bible, the Quran, and, and all these other books, or pick 10, whatever, and 20 lines or philosophies, give a story from your life, one or two, give one or two stories from history, that's three pages a chapter, do one chapter a day, which is not that hard, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, I can guarantee you that's in every religion, um, and it's in philosophy as well, you can read from Kant, he has the categorical imperative, which is his version of that, and, and then write your stories from your life where you, this was important, where you did or didn't do it, write examples from history. I guarantee you will have a beautiful book in 30 days that I promise I will read, and I will shout out every one of those books. Anyway, we have 23 seconds left. See you, hopefully on Monday. Uh, start the 30-day book challenge and text me questions. We're gonna put this on the podcast and my Instagram feed. So have a good weekend, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.